So I heard that uh, you had an awesome appearance last week by an angel. Uh, I heard he was real handsome. Okay, I only got two laughs out of that. Man, rough. You know, appearances are important. And, and in fact, they can be really, really significant things. Uh, appearances can be extraordinarily significant. Uh, several years ago, probably a dozen or more years ago, in fact, Jolyn and I, uh, we were at Estes Park. We had uh, led a, a, a group of teenagers to YMCA the Rockies in Estes Park, very scenic, and uh, we had our, our trip all planned out. It was just awesome. I mean, we woke up in the morning, and there's like elk outside, you know, like eating and, um, you know, doing things that elk do, and, and it was glorious. And one of the days, we had gone into this large cafeteria hall, and everybody's a buzz, you know, and uh, we just wanted to eat, and we're like, well, what's, what's going on? And they're like, the president is going to be here today. And we're like, the president of what, you know? Uh, no, the president, like the president of the United States of America at the time was George W. Bush, and he was going to be there at YMCA of the Rockies. And so, so we're like, the president's going to be here. You know, how many times do you get to see the president? And so the whole youth group, like we lined the streets and there was all kinds of people and people were holding signs and, and it was, and so we waited and we waited. I mean, they told us that he was going to be here at a specific time and the president doesn't keep a very good schedule because he was at least an hour late and we had waited and we had waited. And then, and then you would have thought like there was this large parade. I mean, it was like row after row after row of, of motorcycle cops. You know, I mean, it was like eight rows in front and eight rows behind and like 18 black SUVs and, and all the Secret Service agents and helicopters in the sky. I mean, it was the President of the United States and he was appearing in Estes Park. I mean, this was a big deal. All so that you could watch him go by for about, I don't know, maybe 2.5 seconds so that I could stand up one Sunday morning and say, I got to see the president. By the way, by the way, those things about the Secret Service agents, totally true. Like, those guys do not smile. And they all wear that little earpiece. It's kind of, I think, actually, I think I saw Jack Bauer in one of those. But appearances can be a really big deal. And in fact, uh, it's not a, a, not a small deal when it comes to Scripture. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul doesn't ever tell us a Christmas story. He doesn't ever tell us about shepherds or wise men. He doesn't tell us about uh, a star. Uh, he doesn't even tell it the way John tells it. He doesn't say, like, um, the Word became flesh and kind of, uh, you know, expand on that and tell us how he came and dwelt among us. He doesn't do any of that. When Paul talks about Christmas, Paul talks about appearance. He says he made an appearance. We're going to be in Titus chapters 2 and 3 today. It's in pages 835 and 36, I believe, in the Pew Bibles that are in front of you. And I want to invite you just to open up to that 
Uh, those couple of chapters, I know there's only three chapters in Titus, but we're going to spend some time in chapter 2 and chapter 3 because Paul talks about this glorious appearance that has implications for us. You see, we're in this series called Rethinking Christmas. We're in that fourth week. We talked about worshiping fully this Christmas, giving everything over to Him, having joy and celebration. Uh, we talk about spending less and giving more, more of our presence. And this morning, we're just going to talk about what this appearance, what we believe about Christmas this appearance and the implications it has for us and how we love people. So Titus chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us. It teaches us something. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, right now. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things that you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority, and don't let anyone despise you. I love how he opens up chapter 2. I love how Paul organizes this sense of appearing. Don't you? He talks initially in verse 11 about God appearing. He's talking about Christmas, about the Christ child appearing in a small manger, in a small town, in rather obscure fashion. He appeared, the God that we know that saved us, His grace appeared, it showed up, and he, he places that appearing next to another appearing. He says we should live differently because of this first appearing and in light of another appearing. Notice what he says later on. He says in verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. He's talking about the final appearing of Jesus. And so he places, he places in a wonderful fashion uh, the first appearing next to the final appearing, and he says, these things affect how we live. Appearing can be a really big deal. Do all this because Christ has appeared. Now, look in chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, there's that word again, that word of appearance. It's the same word he's used in chapter 2. The God of grace has appeared to us. It's Christmas time, everybody. He's appeared to us. And he saved us. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. He's appeared, and it has great influence in how we ought to live our lives. There's this extraordinary truth. God has appeared. 
In fact, this word of appearing is the same word uh, that Luke uses in his gospel. Uh, There was this man, his name was Zechariah, and he was John the Baptist's daddy. And John the Baptist's daddy, Zechariah, when he finally is able to speak, sings this song in, in Luke. And at the end of that song, he merely writes this, talking about the appearing of Jesus. He says, and he's going to appear on those living in darkness. And when he talks about those that are living in darkness, he's not saying um, they didn't have any light bulbs. He's not saying that the sun didn't come up in the morning and the moon at night. What he's saying, he's making a theological statement about the condition of people's lives without Jesus. It's darkness. He appeared to those living in darkness. And you and I recognize what that world looks like. Because we're around people every single day who are still living in darkness and Christ needs to appear to them. That's the world that we live in. We recognize darkness. We recognize uh, what it looks like when people are hurting, right? All we have to do is watch the evening news and recognize the kind of world that we live in. We live in a world that's hurting and lost and we would say Christ needs to appear into the darkness in verse 3 of this wonderful text that, that Paul is giving to Titus, he, he writes this, At one time we too were foolish. He begins to spell out what this dark world looks like. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. I was reminded this week uh, of what really foolishness looks like. Someone reminded me about the Darwin Awards. Are you familiar with the Darwin Awards? They're kind of like these spoof awards for people who do really dumb things. So I went to, uh, there's actually a website, darwinawards.com. I went to Darwin Awards and began just to look at the number of really dumb things that people have begun to do. You can go there. Uh, You might be shocked by what you find there. Here's a couple of the stories of the kinds of foolishness that, that people live in in this world. There was a couple of race car crew members. They were at a machine shop, and they decided that they were going to come up with an unusual thrill ride. So they poured four gallons, four gallons, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it was enough, four gallons of methanol into a 55-gallon drum. The thrill ride was to sit on top of it and light it and see what happens. They got a Darwin Award for that. The fire chief was reporting the story. There were two disguised men who had gone into a store, uh, pulled out guns. They uh, robbed people of their purses and their wallets. And and then eventually, before they left, forced everyone into a bathroom, locked the door, and left. The only problem was they decided to try and conceal themselves by spray-painting their faces gold. They couldn't get it off, of course, and they were found. There was a teenager recently hospitalized. He was recovering from major head injuries because 
Well, he decided that he wanted to know how close his head could get to an oncoming train before he got hit. Not the smartest thing I've ever heard of. There was another man who had decided to take a woman's purse, and uh, the, the clerk at the particular store right where uh, the lady had gotten a uh, purse snapped uh, called the police right away. She was able to give an accurate description. They were able to, to find the man, uh, bring him back in a police car so that uh, he could be identified by the woman. When he was standing outside of the car, uh, the policeman said, you need to stand here for a positive identification. He said, yes, sir, officer, that's the woman I stole the purse from. <laughs> we know what that looks like in our world. Foolishness. And some things aren't even quite so funny. Recently, Time magazine named Angelica, or Angela, excuse me, Merkel, the Germany, uh, the Chancellor of Germany, Time magazine's person of the year. It was all over the news. And so I began to read some of the articles about this particular individual, and I, and I realized that she was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year, uh, not because uh, she's a, a high-powered person, although that's part of it, I'm sure. It's because of how she responded when two large things happened. One, uh, Greece went bankrupt, and, and, and there was this whole financial system, and it was about to go corrupt and, and bankrupt, and she seemed to come to the aid and save it. And the other was really this, and this is what tipped the scale. She allowed more than a million refugees into Germany from Syria. And she opened up the doors and said, Germany will take you in. Time Magazine's Person of the Year because of how she responded to the darkness that we see. And we can say, well, why, why do we even have things like refugees and, and people in poverty? And, and yet we recognize that this is the world in which Christ came and appeared. And this is the world in which Christ still needs to appear. The good news about this appearing that Paul is talking about is that it changes really everything for us. Uh, listen to how it, it changes us. Listen to how it. Uh, well, listen to the significance it has for us. In verse five, in chapter three, twice in verse five in chapter three, he says of this glorious appearing. He says, "He saved us." He saved us. Now, now, here's the great part about he, he saved us. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Now, isn't that great? I was reminded this last week as I was uh, looking at several different things that we are not saved, listen to this now, we are not saved because we believe all the right stuff. We are not saved by the Bible. We are saved by Jesus Christ. We are not saved because of righteous things that we believe. 
We are not saved because of righteous things that we do. We are not saved because we come to church and sit in pews and listen to sermons or go to Sunday school or serve. Gang, we are saved by this appearing. Jesus Christ came. It's because of his mercy that we are saved. And notice what he says next. He says we are saved not by this, but notice what he says next. He says in verse 5, he said he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this, in my estimation, uh, may be the best culmination uh, of, of baptism and its importance in the life of the person who desires to know this kind of mercy from God. We are not saved because of righteous things we have done. He saved us by his mercy. Jesus Christ saves us. And what does he do this through? He does it through washing. He's talking about baptism, gang. Washing of rebirth and renewal, something that he's doing inside of us that's crazy mysterious, right? He's taking something old and making it new, and he's saving us through it. He says, this is what Christ has done for you. This glorious appearing, not because of everything that you have done, not because you've read the Bible or believed all the right things, but by his mercy have you been saved. And the Holy Spirit working in that process in baptism is a wonderful, wonderful thing. He saved us. And His appearing changes us. It changes us from something old to something new. And it changes indeed how we live. Notice verse 12 in chapter 2. He's saying of His appearing. Again, how we think, how we believe about Christmas changes our action. He says it teaches us, this appearing teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passion, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We find ourselves being under constant instruction because of Christ's appearing. Now, I want you uh, to see something in this entire book that, that Paul does to say, what we believe about Christmas, what we believe about this appearing, matters for how we love people. Because that's what we want to talk about. How, how is it that this Christmas thing, this appearing thing that changes us, how does it affect how we love people? We're supposed to live in light of His appearing, but what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? I want you to notice what he says. He uses this adjective, right? An adjective is something that describes something, right? And, and he uses this adjective eight times throughout the book of Titus. I, I want you to, to just see how he asks us to live and love in this tangible world. And notice verse, verse 8 in chapter 1. He says, talking about leadership, he says, Rather he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Love what is good. Uh, this, one, this one characteristic of a leader is that they love what is good. Notice verse 16. He's talking about these Cretans, these, these pagans, liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And he says in verse 16, he says, they claim to know God, but their actions deny Him. 
They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Do you know the word yet? It's that word, good. Now, I want you to repeat that with me. Can you just say good? Good, good, because you're going to need to say it a few more times. Uh, look at chapter 2 and verse 3. He's talking uh, about the household. He, he talks about dads and moms and kids and slaves, and, and he's going to give instruction for each one of them. And then he comes down and says, well, why should you live this way? Because of his appearing. But notice verse 3. He says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good, to teach what is good? Notice verse 7. He doesn't stop there. He says, In everything set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching show integrity, seriousness. And on and on he goes. Look at verse 14. Talking about this glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the final appearing of Jesus. He says in verse 14, Who gave himself for us. Why? To redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We're supposed to be people who are loving by doing good. Notice chapter 3, verse 1. He says, remind the people to be subject to their rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to do whatever is good. In verse 8, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. I want to stress these things to you so that those who have trusted God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, to doing what is good. Last of all, he says at the very end of the book, in verse 14, he says, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. I hope you grasp what he's beginning to say. He's saying this appearing, this appearing has great impact on you personally because he, in his appearing, saved you by his grace. His mercy is very real. He gave you a righteousness that you couldn't possibly have on your own. And now, for those of you who are accepting it, there is a responsibility of your character and you are to be people who love all by doing good. So the question is, will you love people by doing good? Will you do good? We have this great tangible opportunity to embody Christ in the world and love all by doing good. Several years ago, I happened to be able to go to a Catalyst conference down in Atlanta, and uh, I'm a real shy person, um, so, what, you don't believe me? So when I got on the airplane, there happened to be this woman sitting next to me, and she was reading a book, and I was kind of like, what you doing? And so she put her book down, and she began to describe the kinds of things that she does. I said, well, what do you do? And where do you live? And tell me about your kids. And, you know, all those kinds of things. I have gotten so many emails for uh, people on an, on, a, on an airplane. It's wonderful. And so she began to tell me that she's this uh, interior designer for, like, high-end stuff. And people hire her from all over the country to come and, like, remodel their house. And I'm like, whoa. 
I definitely can't afford to have this conversation with you. And she began to talk, and she's, she's like, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm going to this leadership conference for the church, and, and it's called Catalyst, and it's down in Atlanta, I'm really excited about it. And, and she says, oh, she says, that's great. You know, my daughter just gave me this book. Like, what is the name of this book? What is the name? And she begins to describe it, and she's like, you know, she's like, my daughter, my teenage daughter got a hold of this book, and... and um, and she began to open it up, and she said she was flipping through it, and she's like, Mom, you got to read this book. It's just so good. And, and I don't know what it's about, but it's just about, like, you got to love people all the time. And she goes, oh, what is it? And so by the end of the flight, she finally tells me, there's this book. I think the guy's name is Bob Goff. And he wrote this book, and it's called Love Does. And I'm, you know, I'm like, okay. So I write it down. Bob Goff, Love Does. Well, wouldn't you know, that year at Catalyst, we happened to go, and Bob Goff happens to be one of the speakers. And I start listening to this guy, and I'm like, this is good. And so I do what you do when, when you find a great speaker and you follow him on Twitter. That's what you do. And so I recently was kind of stalking Bob Goff on Twitter and I was just kind of scrolling through the kinds of things that this guy is about, right? And I'm like, he lives out the title of his book. He's just trying to find new opportunities every single day to try and love people tangibly. You see, the appearing of Jesus Christ has been real to Bob Goff. Here's this lawyer who makes all kind of money, who gives most of it away so that he can love people in different areas of the world. As I was scrolling through, no lie, this guy has orphanages that he sponsors and fully supports himself around the world. In India and in Nepal and places in Africa. And I thought, wow. And then you think, well, those are all grandiose, but here's the one that got me. Yesterday, as I was looking through Bob's Goff Twitter page, he, he took a shout out. He tweeted to my friend and my, my uh, colleague at work, Andy Dykhouse, because it was Andy Dykhouse's birthday. And I thought, love does. Love does in big ways and small ways. And the glorious part about the gospel that we believe is its impact in the lives that we live. In a few words, it just simply changes us. God has appeared. He's brought salvation. And it's through his appearing that we begin to live differently. It changes us. It changes how we live and how we love. You see, uh, we have what we call a theological statement around here. You want to hear it? God is love. Uh, we believe that God is love. And what we're saying by that is, is that there is a description of God in his character and what he really is. And we say God is love. And we're saying this about his character. And when Jesus showed up, when Jesus made his appearing, when he came to earth as a tangible human being to live among his people, what we're saying is that he came to show us tangible forms of love. Now, here's the great part. Church, are you listening? Here's the great part. 
When Jesus left, he left his shoes. He left his shoes so that you and I could fill them. He came as a tangible human being and he left shoes so that you and I could step into them and love people in tangible ways by doing good. How is it that you love people? You love them by doing good. In a nutshell, this rethinking Christmas, all of it has really been about our acting on behalf of Jesus in his name, doing good to love others, to honor Christ's appearing. His message and his mission are now ours. You and I get to fill the shoes of Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks ago, you were all encouraged to take $30 and to do something good with it. And, and I wanted to bring this up yet again just to, to remind you uh, that it's, you don't have to fully support an orphanage somewhere uh, other than here. Uh, you don't have to open up orphanages in India or Nepal that you can do small things right now in doing good that just simply are a tangible way of sharing Christ. Remember, we live in a dark world and you are Christ to people. $30 was spent. I, I took these off of Josh's desk. We used the money. We doubled it and brought gro bought, bought groceries for a family in need. I called the Whiting School to see if they knew of families that could use groceries this time of year. I'm going to drop them off next week, and they will see that the family gets them doing good, loving tangibly. This one says, I decided to match the amount of money in the envelope and give it to an organization called Compassion Child Care. They provide child care on a sliding payment scale to people to help them, especially single moms who are living in poverty. They work to help families escape the cycle of poverty, poverty, and they provide financial classes for the parents of the kids who attend the daycare. Small, doing good, loving tangibly. The last one that I picked up, I, I chose this $30 to go to a program in Sioux City called Partners for Patriots. They rescue dogs. They rescue dogs that were, would otherwise be euthanized. They have inmates train them, and then they get to go to veterans. So they're companion dogs, or they're dogs that become service dogs. And we could go through each one of those. Every one of them has a story attached to it. And what you're doing, church, I want you to know what you are doing is you are being, you're being like Christ. You're filling those shoes. You're doing good. And in doing good, you're loving tangibly. His appearing changes everything. His appearance changes everything because what we're able to do now is we're able to love all by, by doing good. God changed everything in His appearing. And we're able to love. Not, not gooey, emotional kind of I, I love, but love tangibly. Love is a verb. 
I appreciated this statement by folks at Advent Conspiracy. They wrote this, God is up to something in the world. When God's people serve the poor in humble, generous ways, the story of Jesus is told again and again and again. Christ is appearing again and again and again in a dark world. You see, we touch lives of people by understanding His appearing and what it means to us. Around here, we have three things that we keep hammering on. You probably uh, heard them before. How is it that you can go and do good and love tangibly? How can you love by doing good? That may be the question that you're asking. Three things that, that I just want to continue to keep in front of you, and that's to invite. You see, you want to invite people, not just into a space. You want to invite them in to, to be a part of something, to be a part of this people, because the church isn't a building. It's a people. And we belong to Christ and to one another, and you're inviting them into something larger than themselves. And you're saying, you know what? Uh, I want your life to have great purpose. This is what it's meant to me. Invite them. We're asking you to share, not just your finances, although all, all that is a, a part of what we do as, as being members of Christ's body, but we want you to share yourself, share your story, share your time, share your influence with others, share who you are and what Christ has done, and we want you to serve. And we want you to serve, of course, we want you to serve around here on a Sunday morning and what goes on uh, during the week. And, and there's so many of you, right? Uh, so many of you, some of you hand out bulletins uh, happily, uh, greeting people on a Sunday morning. Some of you serve by, by being willing to sit with our children and love on them. Uh, some of you uh, serve by, uh, by going in and loving on teenagers on Wednesday night. And God bless you. You love teenagers on Wednesday night. You love their awkwardness and you love trying to help them find who they are and their identity in Christ. And God bless you for that. And you do good and you love tangibly. But, but there's so many other opportunities out there. Just simply find a way to do good and love all. It doesn't happen to happen in this building. It might happen in your workplace. As you begin to disciple someone in your workplace and just continue to plant that seed uh, that God loves them and wants to see them do something great. And you can serve. Maybe it's through an organization like Crossroads down in Ottawa. And you can continue to serve in that way and say, I'm just going to do good in this way. And I know that it's not going to return empty to me. I'm going to continue to love tangibly by doing this. We will just want to put in front of you again and again and again the opportunity that you have to love all by doing good and you can invite and you can share and you can serve. Gang, appearances are important. And the appearing of Jesus means that we can love all by doing good. And so that's all that's all I want to say this morning is that you have an opportunity to share these, these simple things. In appearing, He saved us. Not because we earned it. Not because we deserve it. That He changes how we live. 
And now we have an opportunity to go and do it. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you so much. Help us to love all by doing good. Thank you for appearing to us. Father, I pray for for everybody here, for myself, that we'll figure out how to do good because you're here. We love you. In Jesus' name.